God, um, we just pray right now for this message that Bill has for our church. We pray, Father, that you would uh, uh, just send your spirit into Bill, that he might speak the truth, speak the words uh, that you would have him say. Uh, let us understand and hear uh, exactly what you want us to hear. Lord, uh, we know that your, your word is holy. We know that your word is true. And we just thank you for that word. And we just want to, to uh, give you honor and praise uh, for this time uh, that your word is spoken. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Bill? Thank you, Kenny. Open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 7. In this election season, many things are being said about what America needs, what's best for America, what America should do, how people should vote, why they should vote, who they should vote for, and who they shouldn't vote for, and all these things. But let me ask you, what does America need that would solve America's problems? You see, when you look at America today, it's hard to see the same America that I grew up in 1960. Almost unrecognizable in many areas. Our financial borders are under attack. Our physical borders are under attack. Our moral borders have been annihilated. We're getting destroyed in almost every area. And I ask you, why? Why is this happening? When I was in Iowa, I was at a church and they had a parsonage and they had, it was a nice three bedroom ranch home and they had recently installed a new furnace. And they said, preacher, we, we think the utility bill should be going down. We put in a high-efficiency furnace, and it, it should be doing well. And uh, after two or three months, the utility bills were the same. They didn't get anything out of it. And one day I looked at the thermostat, and the setting on the thermostat, and the temperature were five degrees off. So I went to the deacon, and I said, uh, I think your problem's the thermostat. The next morning, a man comes and puts in a new thermostat, and immediately the utility bills went down. You see, the real problem was the thermostat. And what we don't understand in the church in America is that the real problem is the church. The church in America. And every church you go to, they say, that's right, those other churches are bad. <laughs> They're horrible over there. But let's look at this verse. 2 Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this verse. Help us to understand the application of this verse and what it means to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Look at this verse. If my people. Why does it say if? Why if? Because most of the time God's people don't. That's why. Most of the time God's people don't follow this verse. I'm talking about Bible-believing people. People who would swear that they believe the Word of God. If my people. You know, you can stand beside a car all day, but until you get in it and turn the key a little bit, you're not going anywhere. And many people stand beside their Bible and believe it and swear by it and trust it and all these things. And then when you get to a verse like, if my people, they're standing outside right beside the car, wondering why they're not going anywhere. If my people. And I want you to notice something about this verse. It doesn't say... If the abortion doctor will do this. If the abortionist will do it. If the homosexual will do it. If the liberal will do it. If the communist will do it. It doesn't say that. Who does it say? If my people. Where's the problem in America? Where's the problem in America? It's with God's people. That's where the problem is. See, we are the thermostat. We determine the temperature in America. If our moral borders are under attack, the church has a problem. And we've really got a problem. If my people... If we could just get the church to agree with this verse and then apply it to the church. If we would realize that we need to do these things in this verse. It really doesn't do any good to even agree with this verse. Until you practice this verse. You see, I can agree that my football team or basketball team is the best, but until they go out there and play, nothing happens. If they don't show up at the game, nothing happens. Now I'm going to ask you, are you a group of people who will say this verse applies to us and then apply it to yourselves? Are you those kind of people? If you're those kind of people, let's go on with this verse. Let's look at what it says. If my people who are called by my name. Those are believers in Jesus. Christians today humble themselves. It's a lot better if you humble yourself rather than God humble you. It goes a lot easier on you. Let me tell you, I've been there. Humble themselves. 
The church in America is largely very proud of itself. The church in America is very pleased with itself. The church in America thinks we're doing great. It's those people out there. And God's looking at it just opposite of that. He's saying the church needs to humble itself. We need to be dependent on God. We need to humble ourselves as, as a church in America, and that would include the church in Crothersville. We need to get down before God and say, God, we've blown it. We've blown it, and we're proud of it. That's a sad thing. Let's look at this a little more. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my faith. Let me ask you a question. Now, before I ask this question, I want you to know that if I'm sick or so got a medical problem, I want you to pray for me. Okay? But if you took medical requests out of the prayer life of this church, how much prayer would be left? There wouldn't be much left in most churches. I went to one church, and for 46 minutes, the pastor took prayer requests for health issues. And in two minutes, he prayed for all 46 minutes. Now, how long was that prayer meeting really? It was a two-minute prayer meeting and a 46-minute request meeting. There's nothing wrong praying for health issues. I want it prayed for too. But we don't stop there. We keep going. What did Jesus tell the disciples in the garden? What did He say? You know, they, they were sleepy. They were tired. They'd been up all night. You'd think He might say, Hey guys, get a good night's sleep. Instead, He goes to them and He says, Can't you even pray one hour? Now let me ask you something. How many of you are praying one hour a day? When Jesus said, Can't you pray one hour? He meant that. He didn't just say that for fun. Can't you pray one hour? See, we, we relegate prayer to the back seat of ministry. We get, go through ministry and get about halfway through the, the ministry. Up, oh, forgot to pray. But prayer works. It's just not used. I did my doctoral dissertation on prayer in the local church and I did a survey and I found out there's a direct correlation with the amount of time the pastor spends in prayer and the size of his church. There's a direct correlation with the amount of time you spend in prayer and the size of your church. I went to one church and the place was just booming. I mean, it was just really booming. It was uh, west of Kansas City in Kansas. Uh, you know, Kansas and Missouri are a lot like Kentucky and Indiana, where if you're in Missouri, 
The first Baptist church is probably going to be a Southern Baptist church and it's probably going to have some sides to it. Well, that's the way it is in Kentucky. But when you cross the Ohio River after about eight miles, that drops off right quick. Well, the same thing happens in, in Kansas. When you cross the river and you go into Kansas, it drops off almost immediately. So I drive out to this church, Lenexa Baptist Church, and the place is booming. And they're running about three to 400 at that time. And I went to the pastor, Steve Dighton, And I, I said, Steve, why is this happening? He said, Bill, I don't have a clue. He said, just about three years ago, it just took off. I don't even know why. He said, we were running 80 people. And he said, I didn't think we were going to make it. It was a new church plant. And he said, I didn't think we were going to make it. And I thought, that's weird. The guy at church is booming. He doesn't know why. So next week, I go to church, I'm at the church, and somebody walks up to me, and he says, Bill, you want to be involved in the prayer ministry? I said, sure, what do you do? He said, well, my wife and I felt led to ask people to pray just for this church 20 minutes a day. And you sign up for whatever time you want to, and you pray 20 minutes for the church. I said, when did you start this? He said, three years ago. <laughs> I said, maybe that's the reason it's growing. Brooklyn Tabernacle. Most of you have probably seen or heard of them. The pastor came to the church and they were running 40 to 50 people and it dwindled to 17 people. And he went on vacation. And he went on vacation to Florida because he was going to figure out how to tell his church he was resigning. And he was on his fishing boat in Florida and God convicted him about prayer. And he went back, and they started praying. And today, Brooklyn Tabernacle runs in the thousands. And he says, because of prayer. Community of Joy, Phoenix, Arizona, was run, it dwindled down to 50 people, and the pastor started praying. Today, they run in the thousands. Let me ask you a question. Why don't we pray more? When you go to Acts chapter 6, and they appoint the new deacons, and the apostles are going to devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And then about three verses down, it says, and the church grew. See, this says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Are you willing to really put some effort into prayer? One pastor went to a new church and I was watching his testimony on YouTube. He's in Canada, Saskatoon, Canada. And he said, we tried everything that everybody was doing to make a church grow. And nothing happened. It was completely flat. Nothing happened. He told his church, he said, we're going to quit doing this. We're going to shut the doors and we're just going to pray. That's all we're going to do is pray. Now they had their regular worship service and all that and their ministries they were doing, but he switched the focus completely to prayer. 
And they prayed. And he told people, if you're going to miss any service, don't miss the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And they prayed. And they prayed. And revival broke out in Saskatoon, Canada. And it was so powerful that May's department stores, now owned by Walmart, had to set up a table outside because people were bringing back stuff they had stolen. Think about that. But it was because of prayer. Why don't we pray? America needs the church to be a church of prayer. That's what we need to do. We need to get down before God and start praying for this country because we are under attack in every area. If you've seen the the movie We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson in Vietnam, it's the first battle in Vietnam. It's about the first battle in Vietnam between the United States and North Vietnamese soldiers. And in that movie, uh, Mel Gibson's uh, troop is outnumbered about 300 to 1 on average. Uh, they, had, um, they were getting overrun. And the day of the, the big battle when the Vietnamese throw everything at him, he, he looks at all of his sides and he tells his radio man, radio in, broken arrow. And the radio Dan doesn't know what that means. But what that means is, it means that we are completely overrun and we need everything you got. And we need it right now. He radioed that in and they sent everything they had and we, he, his group won the war, won that battle. The church needs to cry broken arrow. We need to tell God we need everything you got. And we need it now. We're getting overrun in every area. It seems to me like we win elections and lose the war. But it's the church's fault. It's the church's fault. We can't blame the world. They're deaf, dumb, and blind. They're lost. They're separated from God. They don't know what God wants. God doesn't expect them to know what He wants. It's the church. And that includes you here today. That includes this group of people right here. That includes me. You see, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek His face, the pray and seek His face go together. And as you pray and seek His face, you turn from your wicked ways. There's a lot of sin in most churches. You say, preacher, surely that's not true. Turn to Romans. We won't turn there today, but when you go home, read Romans 1 and 2. And there's two different lists of sins there mingled together. One of them, the church will call bad. That's the one that includes murder and adultery. All kinds of bad things. Homosexuality, all that's bad. But then right in between those words are malice, slander, gossip, unforgiveness any unforgiveness in this church 
Any unforgiveness in the lives of believers of this church? Any bitterness in your hearts? Any malice that's bad feeling towards other people? Any gossip? Any slander? That's called sin. And it's your sin. Why doesn't God's Spirit flow through the church? Because the church is full of sin. And He won't flow through dirty vessels. What if, I open, what if I invited you to my house and I said, you want to drink of water? You said, sure. I went up to the cabin and I said, you want a dirty cup or a clean cup? Well, God doesn't drink out of dirty cups either. He won't pour Himself through a dirty vessel. And we wonder why God doesn't do something. It's your sin. That's why God isn't moving. We're getting overrun in America because of the sin of the church. We have to deal with that. The church needs to clean up its act. The church needs to get right with God. We need to get rid of the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the malice, the slander. You know, I've done a lot of transitional pastor work and almost every church I go into, it needs a transitional pastor. they got bitterness and unforgiveness in the church. I went to one church and I walked in what, I, what would be the main, you know, the main entrance. The church had a, the old, old sanctuary on one end and they had a fellowship hall in between and they had the new sanctuary and I went in and on Wednesday night, and there was the Bible study, and I went in and sat down. I thought, my, this is small. Well, I didn't know there was a competing Bible study on the other side of the church. They were split in two in the same building. Wondering why God wasn't working. What's holding God back in this church? Is it your sin? You say, "Not nah, come on, preacher, God, <laughs> one sin. Would God really hold back revival for one sin? Bertha Smith was a Southern Baptist missionary in China. And she had an eye infection. And the infection wouldn't go away. And she was going to have to return to the United States to get her uh, 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 eye treated. And she was begging God to heal her her eye and it, it wouldn't wouldn't heal and they were in a circle praying in a circle like we, a lot of people do and and she's asking God to heal her eye and she looks up and she sees missionary standing across from her and the Lord says to her why should I heal your eye when you won't forgive the missionary standing across from you She confessed that sin, went to the person, got it right, and then revival broke out in their mission station. What's the sin that you're hanging on to? What's the sin that you hide and, and you say, well, you just really don't know the circumstances? You don't know what they did? It really does, that really doesn't matter what they did. 
It's whether or not, what matters is whether or not you're going to be obedient to Jesus and forgive. Whether you're going to be obedient to Jesus and get rid of that bitterness. Get rid of that malice. Get rid of that slander. Get rid of that gossip. Hopefully we don't have any murderers in here. Hopefully. But I bet there's somebody in here who's got some unforgiveness. I bet there's somebody in here who's got some bitterness. Is it worth God not working in your life and God not working in the church and God not working in America for us to hold on to our little sins when Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins? Is it worth that? Then why do we do it? Look, look at this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now right here, the verse switches gears. All that has to take place. Okay, what has to take place? We have to humble ourselves, pray and seek, and turn from our wicked ways. Three things, okay, we have to do. Turn from our wicked way. Then, and the word then means then and only then. Until that happens, he doesn't do his part. That's it. He doesn't do his part until we do our part in this verse. Then I will hear from heaven. He's not listening. He's not hearing until that takes place. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. America needs healing. We are a sin-sick country full of sin-sick churches. You can name a sin and there's a church somewhere that will tell you your sin's okay. It doesn't matter what the sin is anymore. That sin's okay. That's just the way you are. And it is the way you are. You're a rotten little sinner. They're right. But that doesn't make the sin okay. I ask you, are you willing to be a church that practices this verse? Are you willing to be that kind of church? Or are you going to be the church that hears this verse and the sermon on this verse and says that's a good, a good sermon preacher and nothing happens? What kind of church is this today? What kind of people are the people of First Baptist Church, Crothersville? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we give this altar call to you, Father, and... Leave this in your hands to bring glory to yourself. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.